Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Thank you everyone for joining us on the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. We are making our way into the new year, looking forward to a successful 2021. And we have another excellent guest on the podcast. I'm gonna punt it over to John to do our introduction today. Absolutely, thanks Shenandoah. Excited to be here today and um, really excited to introduce uh, our guest today. Jeff Nash from Bridgemark Strategies. And you know, I, I only got to meet Jeff probably going back maybe four or five months ago. Um, and I'll have you give, uh, I'll have Jeff give you his history and background a little bit, but I will share, I was unbelievably impressed um, with Jeff's understanding of the financial services industry, every facet of it, whether it be the wirehouse side, the independent side, the RIA side, mergers and acquisitions, you name it, uh, just a deep, meaningful understanding of our industry. Uh, so uh, I, I was really excited to have him become uh, a guest here on our podcast. So with that being said, Jeff, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and thanks again uh, for joining. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here as well. You know, uh, and thanks for, for hosting this, this uh, podcast. My background to start there, you know, I started back in the early 90s as a financial advisor uh, and did that for about seven years, left being a, produ a producer, a financial advisor in 1999 when I joined LPL Financial as a recruiter for LPL. After 14 years with LPL and kind of doing a lot of, of work for LPL outs in and around recruiting as well as with advisors, I actually started LPL's business consulting teams and did and kind of re kind of oversaw much of the recruiting as my last role. So I did a lot of different projects and kind of roles within the LPL growth in that 14 year stretch and had a lot of opportunity to work with advisors in all kinds of capacities from mergers and acquisitions to succession planning to recruiting and just overall organizational development and growth. I used that information and started my own independent consulting firm, Bridgemark Strategies. And what we do is really to be a consultant to advisors, helping them through the, the landscape of changing firms. We work with financial advisors that are looking to break away, start their own RIA, looking to join a firm, changing broker dealers, or even sell or merge their business. And our role in that is to really help them understand the opportunities that present them, help them identify, help them evaluate, and even help them negotiate. And as a consultant, we really have had the opportunity to learn a lot about the marketplace and a lot about advisors. And with my own career and working with advisors for over 20 years, it's really helped me to kind of provide a, a value add to these advisors. No, really well said. And, uh, you know, I didn't know you actually were an advisor uh, at one point as well. So that kind of yeah. fills in a couple of the uh, gaps for me of why you're kind of so connected to the industry and kind of see inside of you know what it's like to be an advisor as well um and congrats on all, all you know the success that you've been having you know one of the things that I, I, as i said in my opening remark that i thought was really in particular about your firm interesting as we got to know each other is how you know i kind of call it like almost like a non-denominational church right where it seems like you're open 
open to really taking a consultative approach and trying to get to know the advisors that you're trying to find kind of a new home for. Could you tell us just a little bit about kind of your process there and, and you know, what, what you're looking for when you're trying to find the right home for an advisor? Sure. And why don't I give some background and contextualize it as well, right? So Bridgemark strategies by industry kind of definitions would be defined as a third party recruiting firm. I would say a third party recruiting firm though has a lot of different definitions just like financial advisors do, right? Within the financial advisor space, we have brokers and we have CFPs. And the products that may be sold to a client could be the same from a broker versus a CFP. The process that one utilizes versus the other is entirely different. And for us, it really is about the process of how we help advisors. And so what we do is we study the marketplace, right? And I've personally talked with probably 200 different firms over the last seven, eight years now, and really have an understanding of what firms offer, how firms differ, and what, the, what it becomes unique of those firms. And then we cross-section that with advisors and what advisors are looking for and advisors' needs to really help them better understand the choices of the marketplace. Ultimately, the decision-making process comes down to what I look at as three important decisions as, as, as really the, the process advisors go through. And the decisions advisors make, it's as simple as what I've kind of phrased as three words. If they do a good job for themselves and for their clients, they're going to evaluate three components of a firm. It's the feel, the fit, and the financials. And it really is that simple. And the feel of a firm is, are you culturally and philosophically aligned? And candidly, do you just like the people? Of course, the fit is the business. How does the business line up with the firm? And then the last piece is the financials, and those are the economics. And doing what we do every single day, it's actually the easiest part. The last thing I'd say on that, and I'm kind of, I'll get a little long-winded here, but the last thing I'd say on that was one of the things that I've learned over the years in doing this is advisors don't necessarily know how to evaluate firms. And so when they consider making a change of broker dealers or an RIA or whatever they're looking to make a change in, they will frequently look at the feel and very simply, do they just like the people? They won't necessarily look at the long-term vision, just are they likable? And the long-term vision is, is an equally important part of feel. And then they'll say, okay, what are the economics? And they really will glance over the fit because they don't know how to evaluate that as well. And I've seen a lot of bad decisions over the years that have been made where people overweight economics, you know, and they say, hey, I like them. It's a likable person. Well, remembering all the time that these people that are likable more often than not are the salespeople for the organization trying to convince people to like them, right, and representing those organizations. So we really provide a service to advisors to help them avoid making mistakes, but more importantly, making a better, smarter decision. I really like that. I think both John and I were quickly writing down that those three F's that feel fit in financials. And I, you, you mentioned how they kind of look at the feel, they think about the financials, but can you talk a little bit more in greater detail, what you mean by fit in terms of that long-term vision and, and from a, I, I don't know if it's an operational standpoint an investment standpoint, what are you talking about there? Yeah. So, so I'll start with feel a little bit, right? Cause feel, when we start talking cultural and philosophical alignment, right? What does that even mean? Well, it could mean, does the, how does the firm feel about the RIA universe? How does the firm feel about, right? What are the firm's goals in the long term, and how are those goals aligned or not aligned with your goals, right? How does the firm make money, right? So those are the things that we think about from a cultural and philosophical alignment at the feel level. It's a longer term vision 
And if you're not aligned with that, then you are just asking for trouble because it's two cars going down parallel paths. And over time, those, those paths are going to further and further separate. The fit gets into all the nuances of the business, right? It's a really important component. Financial planning, how is it done? Portfolio management, how is it done? Supporting portfolio management, product availability, right? the different aspects when advisors be all of the support we do in helping advisors through this phase of the of the evaluation is looking at what we would call landmines and potholes and while we'll never be an expert on an advisor's business as much as an advisor would be or an expert on the broker dealer's business as much as those people would be we are really good at helping the advisor identify ask questions and evaluate potholes and landmines and those are pretty self-explanatory right a pothole bounces you around Every single deal, every single solution will have a pothole. Part of that is to discover, is it a landmine? Because a landmine is something you never want to have coming up after the fact and realizing, oh no, what did I do? I didn't ask this question. I didn't know that existed. And that's a big deal. So when we go through FIT, it really is helping the advisor better evaluate to really try to unearth where those landmines might be. The bigger ones we tend to know about, right? Because that's what we do. The smaller ones, which we're not always going to know, we just try to help them unearth it. And we try to ask the advisor questions. Hey, what is it about your client base that you think you're going to take for granted and assume everybody has where they really don't? Yeah, amazing info. I love landmines, potholes, the, the three Fs. I mean, really, really good stuff. You know, Jeff, let me kind of tee this up. And this is something I've always kind of wondered about myself, right? So... Um, you know, I think the audience knows I have my own wealth management practice, and of course, we recruit advisors, and that's, you know, Jeff, how you and I got to know each other a bit here. But I guess, you know, my question would be, we meet a lot of advisors, and I've found that probably upwards of 90% of the advisors that we've hired within the firm come from introductions like folks like you. Um, yet, I would say probably half of the advisors I meet, I meet in a way that does not come through folks in the industry like you, right? That advisors who are kind of, you know, proactive on their own or reaching out, um, et cetera. So I, I, if I'm an advisor looking to make a change right now, what would you say the real benefits are? I mean, you hit some of it of engaging uh, with a firm like yours. And why do you think so many actually kind of go at it alone, which has always been, uh, you know, kind of a little curious to me. Yeah, it's, uh, so maybe I'll start with the go at it alone, right? I think there's a general cynicism. Uh, there's also, while there are a lot of independent recruiting firms, there are not a lot of independent recruiting firms that will be that CFP, that consultant, right? So it's understanding what is the motivation for us, where I've researched over 200 firms, we also have about 120 agreements with different firms. And we've placed advisors over the years at, at easily over 50 different unique solutions. You know, so it really is about helping the advisor to really learn and understand the marketplace and helping them evaluate to find the right solution for their needs and being agnostic through that process. You know, so I think there's a general cynicism that they're trying to push me down a specific path or I'm gonna end up paying them a lot of money for something that's not necessarily that, that, that beneficial. You know, and I think that's an area where for advisors, certainly ask of a consultant, how many firms do you work with, right? What's your approach? How do you understand my business? How do you understand the firms that we're solving for, 
right? There's a lot of specific questions you can just ask those consultants that can help you. As it relates to advisors making changes in general, my experience is over the long term, right? I've been looking at this for 20 plus years. Over the long term, about 7% of the entire industry's advisors change firms every year. About 17 to 20% of the industry's advisors look to change firms every year, right? Within those numbers, there's clearly a lot of advisors who are looking around who are unhappy, but they're not sure where to go, who to speak with, and what it is that can solve for them. So, so within those numbers of people who look around who don't move, it fits into two different buckets. There are those perennial tire kickers who just want to know what's out there who's never going to move. But then there's a large group of advisors who their sourcing of information is the internet, it's firms they know, or firms they have had a friend that has joined. And so largely what you end up with is that advisor, whatever firm they're at, they're going to look at the bigger name firms in the industry. They're going to look at the firms that their friend joined. And that's all they're going to look at. And none of those may be the right solution for their individual needs. Right. So it's really, and it's just too time consuming to go through that. No, well, well said. It makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, as you think about what you've seen going on over the last, you know, say a couple of years in the industry, any trends that you're seeing, I mean, are advisors, um, I do a lot of reading, you know, more intrigued by RIAs these days or going from wirehouse to wirehouse. I know, you know, uh, advisors are landing in a lot of different spots, but I'd just be curious to see if, if you're seeing any particular trends. Yeah, definitely one trend. I mean, there's several trends that I'm seeing. And one of the trends, and this may sound like it's serving your kind of your other business, the wealth management business, but it's absolutely not kind of scripted. And it's a big trend that I'm seeing, which is advisors looking to join into larger teams and larger practices for scale. It is an enormous trend that's happening. Uh, clients are looking for scale, right, and resources. Not that the individual advisor serving the individual client in Main Street America is going to go away because it's not, uh, but there is definitely a larger and larger trend of advisors looking to align with organizations, not just a broker dealer or an RIA, not just a custodian, but really an organization that's gonna help them holistically provide resources better than what they can provide on their own. Those resources can include leads, new, new client referrals, or prospect referrals, I should say, as well as planning resources, as research portfolio management resources, higher end estate planning and other types of resources that firms. So that's a, a big trend that I'm seeing. Another trend I'm seeing is definitely a lot of inquiry, a lot of curiosity in the RIA side of the world, right? With a lot of custodi you know, custodians, uh, there's a lot of questions that come up on the RIA side of the world where a lot of people think it's the right thing for them, but I'm not sure they all understand the risks that go along with that. Um, but there's a lot of folks heading in that direction or trying to get in that direction. Yeah, so overall, you would say a combination of larger kind of firms that provide kind of a, a value proposition, I guess, would be the way to say it to advisors. And then also the RIA space as a whole, just kind of going out and hanging maybe your own shingle and getting full, full independence. One question I would have, and you hit some of these already, you know, if, if I'm an advisor that is looking to attract talent to my practice, what do you think you, you, you rattled off a couple, right? Like lead flow and investments and technology platforms. Is there anything in particular that as you talk to advisors, um, 
you know, that advisors are really looking for in a new home that seems to be a differentiator? Just curious. Technology is one of the big ones. It really is. Uh, from an advisor, right? So you, it's interesting. I thought you were going to go down a different, little bit of a different path. So maybe I'll speak to the path I thought you were going to go down in that question as well, which is a, which is kind of an industry landmine. Um, but to answer your specific question, the one of the the biggest things I hear about, I, I always hear service. I hear culture, right? It's so difficult to assess. It's so personal to the person, you know. But technology is a big, big trend where I see technology as not just what does your firm provide and how does it provide the technology? What's your firm's vision on technology? Is technology helping you gain clients? Is technology hurting you with clients, right? There's a lot to speak around technology and of course, clearly just the efficiencies itself in the technology world. So that's the that's definitely a bigger one is the technology side. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. I think um, just building that scalability, right? And um, now, do you think with COVID nineteen that we're still kind of living through here? Uh, hopefully, on the on the uh, the back nine of that, I think we're all hoping. But do you think technology uh, has become even a bit of a bigger uh, a bigger play with people working remotely? And I'm just curious. It seems as if I think you used the statistic before. 17%, I think you said, of advisors are generally looking for a change in a typical year, historically, about 7% of advisors, which is amazing, actually make a change. So, you know, 7% is, what is that, one out of 13 or so in my head, somewhere along those lines is, uh, right. is, is a lot, right? Do you believe that as advisors, I've heard some of this are, you know, usually maybe sitting in a wirehouse or a regional or a bank platform and now they're realizing that they're working from home um, and that they don't necessarily need all the resources from you know, kind of that employee platform. Have you seen any of that? Quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, so we've seen, a, so for 2020, we have seen a lot of advisor movement, uh, a lot of inquiries and an increasing amount of advisor movement. And we're expecting 2021 to be one of the kind of record years of advisor movement in the industry. Uh, what's feeding 2021 is if we go back and look over the last 20 years, when we think about advisor movement, while there are some longer term averages, advisors generally are broken up into categories based on the type of broker dealer they're with. There's the wirehouse and regional firms, there's the independent broker dealers, and then there's the insurance company owned broker dealers. And those are the big three categories. And when we think about the long term trends for advisors, Typically, you don't see all three categories with advisors in motion at a fairly aggressive pace. And we think we could see that in 2021. And what's feeding that is the wirehouse movement. When those years are more wirehouse advisors leaving the wirehouse, almost always comes after what would be an economic cycle. Uh, and what we see after an economic cycle is the wirehouses themselves squeeze the advisors for payout, for service, for administrative support, right? And so there's a squeezing that's going on for the wirehouses to continue to drive profit at the wirehouse level or the bank-owned wirehouse level, and they squeeze the advisors, which generates movement. And so we certainly are expecting to see that in 2021. The last time we saw something that significant was actually in 2009. So in addition to that, in 2020, uh, the, with Reg BI in the insurance broker-dealer space, we are looking at uh, a lot of consolidation and insurance companies really evaluating how they are profitable 
and whether they are profitable on the distribution side, which is what financial advisors are. So we're seeing, we've seen over the last few years, considered continued consolidation among insurance broker dealers and, and acquisitions by independent broker dealers on insurance broker dealers. And we certainly expect Reg BI to continue to push that forward. And so again, increasing insurance advisor movement in 2021 for, because of that, that trend. The last piece, which is the independent BD, is the Reg BI has increased cost, especially for a lot of boutique independent broker dealers. And with the, that incremental cost, it will be just some of it will be survival, some of it will be acquisitions or, or selling, and some of it will be increasing their expenses, their, their lowering pay or increasing cost of their advisors to survive. And so again, a lot more consolidation advisors leaving independent BDs. So really all three channels have what will be some disruption we expect in 2021 for some major trends, major shifting. No, it makes, makes a ton of sense. And, um, and I can tell you what, I, I see it in my little world as well. We've got probably the biggest pipeline uh, from a recruiting perspective. Uh, so I, I can see it in my little microcosm here. Uh, you know, just that it seems like there will be a lot of advisors in motion for sure. I think you know, the three points you made are, are amazing. And I would even bet that interest rates being so low, right, probably uh, is also kind of creating some of that margin squeeze uh, mm -hmm. within firms as well. Oh, you know, no we, yeah, so it's, it's kind of like that perfect storm almost with COVID and interest rates and market volatility and kind of the, the rise of a lot of kind of independent-minded firms out there. Do you, do you believe that... I'm sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Sure, I have one last comment on when you said COVID, which just I think it'd be really important for people to know, which is the there's been a quite a bit of movement of advisors here in 2020 or or and in 2020 what we've seen from advisor movement is because of covid actually transitions have happened better and faster during covid than they've happened in almost any other year with clients being home and with e-signature capabilities at a lot of firms it's been really streamlined and so we've seen advisors moving over a you know, typically a lot of firms will look at 80% of their asset moves of, would be goals in the first 90 days. And we're seeing upwards of 90% in 60 days at a lot of solutions. I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing some of those on your wealth management side as well. But it's the, you know, it really is COVID has actually streamlined the transition process and made things much easier for advisors. No, amazing. Yeah, we, we are seeing that. And I think, uh, I think you're, you're right on technology and just folks with time and accessibility. Uh, makes a difference. You know, Jeff, for some of our listeners that might not be obviously as, as expert as you are as it comes to, you know, transitioning from uh, broker-dealer to broker-dealer, let's say, I'm going to hit you with the cut and two questions at once, uh, which I am notorious for. <laughs> Shannon Toe will tell well, you. I'm hoping so, there are only two. He says two questions and it turns into four, so you got to watch out. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know what? My brain gets going a little bit and uh, I'm loving everything you have to say, Jeff, because it's, uh, it's it, number one, it's spot on and, and actually really educational for me too. So I appreciate uh, all the information. You know, so one question I would have for you is, could you just briefly um, just explain a little bit about how broker protocol, just the basics of it works in the industry? Because I feel like so many advisors that I meet when I ask the question, about broker protocol and the advisor who might be in the business 10, 15, and 20 years doesn't even know what it is, which is always sort of, um, you know, uh, shocking to me. 
And then the second is some of the bigger wirehouses have exited broker protocol and rumors are that maybe another one may uh, in the future. Just curious to see, you know, if you see that slowing advisors down or, or in some cases maybe even speeding up because they think it might be coming uh, at their, their particular firm. So if you could hit those two for me, I think that would be really good for the audience. Sure. And I'll avoid some of the history lesson, but to suffice it to say, I've been recruiting and working with advisors since before broker protocol even existed. Uh, and so what we've seen, what broker protocol is, to be clear, is it allows a, in a financial advisor, regardless of their agreement they have with their broker dealer. So if they even have a non-solicit agreement that they won't take clients from the broker dealer and the broker dealer is a part of the broker protocol, they're allowed to solicit those clients and go from one protocol firm to another protocol firm. And everyone signs on for that as a part of the, who is a part of the protocol and agrees to those terms. What they are allowed to take is essentially seven in pieces of information. It's public information, so there's no personally identifiable information that we like to call PII. And the, the public information is name, address, phone number, email. We can even take account type and or account registration is the information that you can take with broker protocol. That list of clients that you're going to take that information as a part of the protocol should be provided before you leave to your exiting firm. And then you're allowed to take those clients, solicit those clients at your new firm and ask those clients to continue to work with you and join. As it relates to firms, right? So Morgan Stanley and UBS have left the protocol about a year and a half or so ago. There are certainly rumors about other firms that may or may not leave the protocol. They have not, even though those rumors have been going on for quite a while. And initially the first six months, we saw some slowing down of advisors from those firms who have left the protocol. Currently now, we haven't seen any slowing down at all. It really is the, while they're not a part of the protocol, it changes a little bit of how they have to act and they should certainly enlist kind of engage an attorney to make sure they're, they're following things the correct way per their specific agreements and within their attorney's guidance. Uh, but we haven't seen any slowing down and we haven't, not only we've not seen slowing down, we really haven't seen any drop off in the success rate after the moves either in being able to attract and retain those clients. Really well said. And I'm impressed you, you were able to hit two questions. Now I get the chance to maybe hit you three a little a little bit later in the conversation. <laughs> uh, really helpful information. And, um, you know, I think a lot of advisors, you know, are so busy running their practices that they don't always take the time to learn about everything going on in the industry. I always try to, you know, take a little time to do that and do some reading and listening. Uh, and it, it really is interesting to see uh, exactly what's going on out in the industry. You know, on that note, I know you also, um, advise some as well, Jeff, you know, helping uh, advisors with succession planning and mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, what do you see going on in that world right now? Um, you know, I think uh, I've seen an uptick there personally as well. I think, um, you know, market volatility and time at home um, certainly helps uh, people reflect <laughs> on, on just how much and for how long they'd like to be a financial advisor. Uh, but just curious to see what you see going on there. There is a lot of activity, right? From large billion dollar plus firms selling to individual practices of varying sizes are also selling. Uh, and so there's an enormous amount of activity. There continues to be a lot of activity. 
you know, I referenced a little bit earlier an industry landmine that I thought you were going to kind of reference when with the question, and I and you know I kind of stayed on topic. The industry landmine that I see in the succession planning at realm that I see all too often is advisors, the the unicorn for advisors who are now older, who've built a great practice, you know, and are now thinking they want to kind of look to wind down and sell their practice. They look to bring in a junior advisor. And that junior advisor is their, their successor and heir, and they're going to sell the business to them. And I really believe that's one of the big industry landmines that people, while so many advisors are looking for that, it's, more, it's a lot more dangerous and risky than I think advisors actually realize. And I've seen more of those scenarios blow up than anyone can count at this point. You know? And so some of the risks, to be clear, is it's key man risk, right? And what you end up with is I've literally seen situations where that successor, that heir, they've gotten sick or ill and aren't able to actually continue with the practice. And what, what happens then to a plan, right? So there's financial risk, there's, there's lifestyle risk, there's a lot of challenges that you have with that philosophy. Uh, and so while a lot of advisors for many, many years were looking for that solution, that's been one of the bigger trends that we're seeing uh, of where I've actually had advisors reach out to me and said, hey, I've been trying to find this, haven't found it. I think I'm giving up on it. Can you now help me find the better right solution of a partner, right? And some of these partners can be partial owners. And so you can sell to the employees with a, with a more institutional owner. Uh, but there's an enormous amount of activity and it's going to continue to be the case. Going back to one of the trends we talked about earlier is the need for scale, right? And I think the advisors are starting to realize the best way to retain their clients long-term is actually with a scalable partner, not just selling it to a junior partner. Yeah, no, amazing points. You know, as you're talking, I'll just give you a quick little story. Um, I'm working on one live as we speak. Uh, I'm working on an acquisition. I won't give names, obviously, or anything like that. But I'm working on an acquisition. Uh, it's about a, a business that does about $2 million a year in revenue on about $250 million of assets. And the firm went through an internal succession plan. The advisor sold uh, in this case, to two junior advisors. Um, and to make a very long story short, the two junior advisors who are with the firm for a long time are having major cash flow issues. They, they didn't understand the tax consequences of uh, the transaction uh, when all, you know, uh, that's really what it boiled down to. And they are having a hard time. The seller of the practice it was a combination of bank financing and a seller note. And because the advisors are having a hard time handling the bank financing note, um, the seller was forced to kind of put a pause on the note that he was holding for the two uh, successors in this case. And just to make a very long story short, um, it looks like you know we're leaning towards my firm coming in and purchasing that practice uh, and retaining in a smaller equity position, the two junior advisors to continue to run it. So um, I've seen a lot of that. And I think, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think um, as you look at the players in the industry that are building scale, the ability to, to you know, ultimately monetize your life's work in a safer way with repeatable systems um, seems to, to make a lot of sense. You know, Jeff, as you're looking at kind of the, the succession planning uh, industry as a whole and what's going on, 
are multiples going up? Are they going down? I know they're kind of all over the place, but you know, what, what are you seeing? It's a great question. The uh, multiples are definitely going up, but where multiples are going up and, and, and not, not everyone is benefiting from these multiples going up. Where multiples are going up is where advisors are evolving their practice to a business. And the more your practice starts to look like a business, the better the multiple will be. And the larger your, the larger, the, I'll now call it a business, the larger the business is, the better the multiples will be. And those are the two factors that we're seeing in the marketplace is advisors who have key man issues, who are running model portfolio, who, excuse me, who are managing money individually for clients, who are running it really as a successful practice, those are the ones that are gonna to struggle to maximize the price and the valuations. Uh, because even if they get a price, what will happen is in every transaction, there will be what we call clawback provisions. And a clawback provision is as simple as how many of the clients are retained by the new firms and for what period of time. And while this is gonna be negotiable for the period of time, almost every transaction will have clawback provisions. If it doesn't, you'll be taking less money and to maximize that offer. And so the more you have key man issues and the more you run an individual client practice, the greater the risk is that the clients won't actually stick with the newer firm and that will impact your price overall. So the best advice I can give is to really looking at the practice as a business, starting to move clients into from an individual managed situation to model portfolios. Of course, I'm assuming that they're already doing managed money, right? Managed money is the key to the future for, make, for increasing values, right? Versus commission or even reoccurring trail revenue. Uh, it's really about managed money under a fee-based environment. You know, financial planning is another important component and growth. The more you can demonstrate a growth or a growth rate or a historical growth kind of plan and a path, that also will impact price. Yeah, well, well said. Um, I want to just kind of go a little deeper. Um, I, I understand exactly what you said. I want to make sure the audience does on one piece, which is, you know, when, when you talk about enterprise value, um, you know, I'll use the words running a, a business as, a as opposed to a practice, right? Meaning the advisor, you know, him or herself is not necessarily necessary, right, to run the organization. They might not be meeting all the clients or it might be a team approach, uh, that kind of thing. Is that what you meant? Uh, just to make sure that we're clear. Absolutely, but I'll, I'll. But it varies on size, right? So certainly, a firm, a practice that may have a couple hundred million in assets may have more than one advisor, and so in what you just described, that may make sense. Is the, the the practice or the firm, the group owns the clients, not any one advisor inside of that group owns the clients. In a smaller scenario, maybe there's thirty or forty or fifty million. There's only one person to really meet with the clients. Um, however, you still can, can lessen the client's dependency on you from a key man issue, right? It's still managing, right? It's doing things that are important so that it's sustainable beyond yourself, right? Financial planning, portfolio management, not being what I would call kind of a Superman syndrome. So if there's a service issue, having a service person addressing the service issue so that you're not always the Superman and, and the client only looks at you for everything. 
the more you can get the client comfortable with other people in the organization, the more the practice starts to look at like a business. Now, that's a great way to explain it. I think that really hit the nail on the head there and it can clarify it for our audience. I know we only have a few minutes left, so I wanted to wrap up by kind of getting Nash's predictions. What are we going to see over the coming years moving forward, either in terms of, of advisor movement, the shifting, or this consolidation that you've been seeing? What do you think is going to happen in the next five to 10 years? I think one of the big changes that we're going to see is, is more firms um, on the RIA side of the world are going to actually look more like wirehouse firms. And that's kind of a controversial statement. Um, and what I mean by that is we're seeing, so for years, it's my belief that the wirehouses, the big name VDs, would love to get all of their financial advisors onto a salary and bonus type of a structure. No longer pay them a percentage of the commissions, just pay them a salary and bonus. And it will be significantly more profitable for these wirehouses. We've seen them do that in smaller scenarios with kind of internal teams. Uh, there, many of these firms have these internal team structures to handle smaller clients. And I absolutely believe it would be significantly more profitable if they could do this across the board. What's really interesting though as a trend is the RIA path, which is all by most people's accounts, that's the true independent path, is actually leading the way on this salary and bonus type of a compensation structure for their financial advisors. And a lot of the RIAs, as they continue to grow, and there's an enormous amount of consolidation that is still yet to happen in this industry, right? We have well over 300,000 financial advisors. There's north of 30,000 different RIA firms that are out there. And there's an enormous amount of opportunity for consolidation. And that's, so when we see over the next three to five and 10 years, consolidation will absolutely continue. But I also see that we're gonna have financial advisors that are more relationship managers, managing client assets for the firm getting paid a salary and bonus. And for those folks that are really successful, they will be able to get equity in the firm and that will be their upside opportunity a salary plus bonus plus equity. I would, I would say Jeff is not news. That is real news. And I think a very likely, um, a very, very likely prediction to come true. I think, I think it's trending that way. And I, I could not agree with you more. Yeah. If there's one other thing I would say that is also happening is the, absolute blurring of the lines of firms. And so what I mean by that is earlier, I talked about wirehouse firms, independent broker dealer firms and insurance based, you know, broker dealers is we're going to continue to see a blurring of those. And, and then RIAs really is another whole channel. We see RIAs that are independent RIAs and we're seeing RIAs that are now having a W2 advisor base, right? We see independent broker dealers starting W2 advisor channels. We're, we are absolutely going to start to see at some point here, the wirehouses looking at the RIA side of the world, whether they're either as a, as a custodian provider or to be able to provide services to RIAs. It's just a matter of time. You know, we've seen a little bit out of Wells Fargo. Uh, you know, we've most recently heard Jamie Dimon over at JP Morgan talking about maybe getting into the space. Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade. So we're going to see more of the blending of the lines of, of solutions which makes it more complicated for advisors as well. You can't just look at an independent BD in, in the same way or a wirehouse BD in the same way as, as it really is going to be about choice within a firm on top of that. So, totally agree, Jeff. Do you see um, kind of the aggregators continuing to get bigger, the dynasties of the world and the high towers and the firms like that? Do you think that is a trend that seems like more and more firms like that are 
you know, kind of popping up one, every year. It seems there's one or two others and it seems, yeah, at least from what I read, that they're doing quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And again, it's a, it's a function of a fractured, such a fractured industry. When we think about the trillions of dollars of assets in play, right, where, you know, I think Schwab has like $8 trillion or something like that. And some of the, I mean, I think Fisher is one of the larger RIAs out there with a hundred billion dollars, you know, so it's just, you know, dynasties is a small, I mean, Hightower is probably about 30 billion, you know, and there's other ones out there, but there's so few firms even above 10 billion in the marketplace. So yeah, the, the opportunity with private equity money to help a firm go from 2 billion to 10 billion, that's the type of returns on investment that these private equity firms want. We're also seeing not just private equity investment in the marketplace, but the bigger trend from private equity is family office money is really finding their way into our industry where the family offices themselves are investing in these RIAs. They're investing in buying practices or I should say businesses. Uh, and that's the other, so it's, it's, and they have a bit of a longer term investment philosophy than private equity as well. Yeah, I agree. It seems like a lot of, a lot of smart money is starting to understand just how valuable a you know, wealth management firm with recurring revenue and deep, meaningful relationships with their clients actually means. You know, I, I had one last question that I wanted to ask before that just popped in my brain. And then I think, you know, we'll wrap up because uh, we're getting a little close to time here. But as you can tell, I could, I could pick your brain for hours and hours and hours. So this is a lot of fun for me. Um, I'm dealing with one of these right now, and I just would like your, you know, get your opinion on it as well. So, you know, I'm a wirehouse advisor today. If I'm a wirehouse advisor today, you've got, you know, these opportunities to kind of retire in place, right? Or you've got an opportunity to maybe make a transition, uh, get compensated, uh, you know, for that transition to the independent side, whether it be to an RIA or, or an independent firm. Uh, et cetera, and then to, you know, then have an exit, right, by actually selling the, you know, the equity uh, of your business as well. Just be curious to see, you know, your view on that, I guess, from, from each angle, right, um, and, and, you know, kind of where you see that, because I, I see that trend, again, in my own little ecosystem, and I'm looking at it from my lens and going, man, I feel like, you know, advisors can do a, a heck of a lot better, um, you know, selling their life's work on the in, independent side. But just curious to see your views on that. Yeah, no question. I mean, today there is a real arbitrage opportunity. Uh, I honestly think over the next three to five years that arbitrage opportunity will lessen. Um, but there is a real significant arbitrage opportunity to the advantage of the advisor to take advantage of that. And I definitely see a lot of folks who don't. Right, just they think the amount of work associated with a move is too much and it's too much of a headache and it's not worth it. And maybe for some of those folks, if they don't have the greatest relationships and, and interaction with their clients, that's probably the right decision. Um, but the arbitrage opportunity, net of tax benefits, being able to sell your business on the open market, you can eat, you can, and depending on which firm you're coming from on the sunset side, which is what they call it coming from a wirehouse you could looking at two or three times more money netting of taxes by selling your business in a 1099 scenario versus a sunset. Uh, and so it's very lucrative. As I say, it is a complete arbitrage to take for advisors to take advantage of and to their opportunity. Some, some will, some have, and others just choose for the path of least resistance. 
Yeah, well said. Um, and, and that's how I saw it too. I mean, two times or three times net in your pocket, uh, you know, is a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and, and it, it really is from an economic perspective. And, you know, for a lot of advisors, I'd suspect, myself included, by the way, that their, you know, their largest asset is the value uh, of their business. So that, that has a, a bit of an effect uh, on one's lifestyle uh, from that point forward. So, you know, Jeff, to kind of wrap things up, was there anything that Shenandoah and I didn't ask you that maybe you wanted to share? Um, anything that we, we didn't think of or anything that you'd want to share with the audience? Honestly, I don't know if anything comes to my mind. I mean, I think you guys have asked a lot of great questions and hopefully that, that your audience finds this really helpful. You know, changing firms is, is certainly time consuming and the risk of doing it poorly is significant, you know, and part of what we try to do is help advisors minimize that risk by finding the really the right partner for all of their needs, you know, and, and it's, uh, but it's an important, it's important to do it the right way and do it thoughtfully. Absolutely. I, I think that you brought up a lot of things for advisors to consider um, for whether they're a tire kicker or they're actively looking. Um, so with that in mind, if they are looking and they've heard this podcast and decided, man, I need to talk to Jeff and his team. I need some help. I want to know what my options are. Um, how would they contact you? Where can they find you? The best and easiest way is to go to our website. You can learn more about us. We obviously have the contact us right through the website. The, the website is bridgemarkstrategies.com. Uh, and that's our website. We're obviously, we're active on LinkedIn. Uh, and we're also pretty active in the press. You know, I'll get interviewed a lot from uh, all the different periodicals that are in the industry from investment news to financial planning and on Wall Street all the time. Uh, so feel free, in, and we've posted a lot of those content on our website for blogs and information as well. So there's a lot more information that's available, you know, through our website, not only about us, but also about the industry. Fantastic. And for our listeners, I will put that link in our show notes as well. So if you didn't get it, if you're driving, um, it'll be there in the show notes for you, bridgemarkstrategies.com. Uh, any last words, John, before I send us on home? Yeah, I just, Jeff, thank you uh, so much for being our guest. You were awesome and uh, super educational. And uh, you know what? I've only gotten to know you for a little bit, but uh, you are certainly a very good human being. So thanks for giving back uh, to the, you know, to the industry here uh, and enlightening us today. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed getting to know you here over the last few months as well. So uh, I know we'll be talking a lot more in the future. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you both. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone once again for listening. We hope you tune in next week as we invite another industry expert on the podcast to talk to us about important issues that are impacting advisors and that will help you create quantum growth. If you think you might be a good guest for our show, if you're an industry expert, or maybe you've experienced some success and have some processes or strategies that you would like to share, go ahead and submit yourself as a guest. Who knows, we might actually let you on and, and grill you here on the podcast. And be sure to share it if you have advisors that you know are looking for information or could benefit from this. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And we will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.